who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Oh, hi. Another intro, another show. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, we have a special episode this week, don't we? We have arguably the most special episode. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we have Helen Zaltzman, friend of Jenny's, but also mine. We argue about it in the episode. Uh, the jewel of my heart. <laughs> hey, what am I? <laughs> Something else. Okay, I'll let you think on that for a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get into today's episode with Helen, where we talk about linguistics in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, plus some other fun shit. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, Philadelphia, we are coming for you. And you kind of know that already because there are maybe 50 tickets left to our show in June. Uh, June 11th, we're coming to World Cafe Live. We are doing a live taping of the episode Storyteller, a favorite, yes. a favorite, a very, very fun episode. Um, and you can, if you have not already gotten your tickets, this is your moment, okay? Uh, BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Just go to our calendar. All the ticketing links are there for you. Also, you could just go to World Cafe Live's site and find us there. Um, but those tickets are up now. Come hang out with us, Philly. Also, oh my gosh, are you ready? You're not ready. You don't even know. We have a couple of new things in the merch store that are my two favorite things maybe that have ever been in the merch <laughs> store. One of them is a spicy new keychain to a very specific room mm -hmm. at the Sunnydale Motor Inn. Mm -hmm. It's wicked spotting. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. And the other thing is a Yowler Cat diner mug. Those are both up. They're both so beautiful. Uh, and I invite you to look upon them and try not to be moved it's by how just, glorious they are like if you're dating somebody right now and you're like right on the cusp of like maybe they should have a key there in my mind there's no better way to give them the key to your apartment than on a sunnydale motor in keychain oh yeah right 
Hell yes. Um, all right. Uh, that's pretty much it. We, If you're listening to this in real time, this Saturday we're watching the last two episodes of Firefly in our Feels Like the First Time Patreon podcast. So we start at 5 o'clock Eastern. Um, we're watching Heart of Gold and Objects in Space. Wow, I knew those titles in my mind. I am ascending to a new nerd plane. <laughs> uh, wow, look at you, yeah. <laughs> So come and watch with us. We'll be taping our last episode of the Firefly Run uh, probably the following week. And um, lucky you, you only have to wait one more week and we'll be back in your ears with our taping of Bring On the Night. Hooray. All right, let's get let's get in there with Helen. Indeed. Welcome to a very special episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we're usually talking about Buffy one episode at a time. But today we are breaking out the linguistic microscope with a very special guest to examine uh, elements of language in the show. Please welcome my friend and Kristen's less close friend, <laughs> Helen Zaltzman. <laughs> it makes it sound like Kristen and I have got beef. I know it does. It makes it sound like we used to be close, but then like something came between us, betwixt us. Yeah. But the truth is we we just haven't spent enough time together yet to get to the point where we have beef. Isn't that useful? I mean, Jenny probably phrased it like that because she realizes that with time I could surpass her. In, in friendship levels, you know, like given the amount of. Yeah. So you never know. So just everybody be careful. I'm not threatened. (laughs) I'll be very careful to apportion affection equally. <laughs> I think this is why Helen, I'm quite emotionally withdrawn, just in case unfairness results. <laughs> You've been on buffering the vampire slayer for approximately one minute, and we've already caused you stress. We're Shall already just, uh, playing tug of war with your with your affections. <laughs> I'll just sneak out the back before I cause any more damage. Perfect. No, Helen, you can't sneak out the back because we need you to answer a lot of questions. Okay, we, great. We have a lot of questions for you. Well, I love to answer lots of questions. People lost their ever-living minds when we told them that you were going to come here and be in the buffering space with us. They are just like the nerd level off the charts, like fully just it broke every computer when we tried to measure the nerd level. Uh, people are thrilled. So, well, that's very yeah. flattering. Thanks but also we're all here. quite bored in COVID. So any yeah. variety is good. <laughs> um, I thought maybe, Helen, a good place to start is just having you talk to us a little bit about what you do. Um, You know, I know that there are a lot of people here who are very familiar with your work, but if there are people who are like, so what do you mean linguistics? Like what, what, tell me more. Uh, Tell us about yourself. Well, uh, I make podcasts. I was uh, recapping Veronica Mars with Jenny Owen Youngs on our podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. Mm -hmm. And I make a show about language, The Illusionist, which is about how and why we say the kinds of things we do and what that means as um, humans. And I also made a podcast for nearly 15 years called Answer Me This, which was answering questions from our listeners. So between all of those, I feel like I'm moderately well qualified for what is about to happen. (laughs) But I don't want to be You are the perfect candidate. You are the perfect candidate. (laughs) I mean, apart from the fact that you just only 
started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Is that true? Yes, I did see a couple of episodes back when it came out, but I didn't really have access to it at the time televisually and then failed to catch up in the intervening 20-something years. Until now. (laughs) Helen, in preparation for our conversation today, you and I have been texting. You've been keeping me updated on your viewing, and you've gone about it in a very interesting way. Is it disrespectful? A way that I... Oh, no, it's not disrespectful. Um, But it definitely makes my mind real, trying to figure out how you are experiencing it. Could you please (laughs) tell our beautiful listeners uh, what you have done up to this point? Well, I... (laughs) Asked you, Jenny Owen Youngs, for your starter pack of Buffy episodes. And I also asked my friend Eleanor, who's very invested in this journey. And you had some overlap in your lists. You mm-hmm. both chose Hush and The Body and Once More with Feeling. The Body mm-hmm. was in the starter pack? Oh, maybe it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was in both of your starter packs. Jesus right. Christ. It's a very beautiful episode. I understand I why mean, you chose it. Incredible. I don't know about starter. But you did veto some of Ellie's other picks. Uh, And then I added a few of my own, partly motivated by ones where I enjoy your song interpretation thereof, which is why I watched uh, Beer Bad and Bad Eggs and Enemies. And you can't (laughs) stop me. It's already happened. And and then some I just chose on a whim, like I thought um, uh, him sounded like an amusing premise. So Mm. I watched that and it was. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a jaunt. (laughs) Oh, it's a jaunt. (laughs) I'd love to see all these uh, women throwing themselves at a bland white boy. (laughs) Do sports teams in English high schools have an equivalent to the Letterman jacket? Um, I'm the wrong person to ask because (laughs) I graduated high school in 1997. Um, I don't... You might have a shirt... And you simply can't remember. You might have a shirt with your name emblazoned on the back, but... You have to wear uniform mm. at most British schools. You have to wear uniform, and the I jacket will just Letterman be a blazer. Jackets were were global phenomenon. I didn't even think about well, it as a United States specific thing. I wonder whether classic we have... American uh, viewpoint, really. Well, we do <laughs> love everybody did that. We do love a lot of your high school classic things. Like now, British high schools have proms, which they didn't when I was at hmm. one. Thank God. So maybe they've got on board with the jackets as well. How many episodes did you watch that featured? A young vampire slayer named Faith. Ooh. Only a couple. Um, I watched Bad Girls and Band Candy. Is she in that one? No, but... but... No, she's got the day off for Band Candy. But you watched Enemies, right? Oh, yes, I watched Enemies. Yeah, and Bad Eggs. No, she's not in Bad Eggs. So, but Enemies and Bad Girls, you've seen Buffy and Faith handcuffed to each other, and you've also seen them almost kiss. So really, like, a, a great... A duo of episodes, I think. The whole spectrum. The whole what are your late nineties like, time? Do you have? Do you feel in your bizarro jaunt through these episodes a an attachment to like a particular character? Like, what are you? What are you feeling? How do you feel? Do you want to watch it from the beginning? Um, I've seen. I think I enjoyed it more the more it went on. Is that yeah. fair? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So maybe... It's a big show that hinges on like character, you know, like when you when you start to connect with the characters, then the whole thing just kind of opens itself up for you. I feel like. Yeah, I don't I don't feel qualified based on having watched um, a handful of episodes per season to really make any intelligent comment on how it's working out. But um, I do feel like I've enjoyed it more after she has left high school 
And mm. usually in teen dramas, it completely goes to shit when they leave high school and go to college or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they've escaped that because I'm also somewhat enjoying it more without Angel in it. Am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I... I... I, I would say no, but Just. I would also get in big trouble for that. I love, like, I love, we lo- had a great time during the Angel years, but I agree with you that I enjoy the show now that Angel's doing his own thing. You know, he's living his yeah, life. Yeah, I think Angel is also better on Angel, yes. like more enjoyable on Angel than on Buffy. It, yeah, it wasn't really his fault. It was more just removing that particular attachment from Buffy m- made somewhat liberated the character i felt yeah in a way. yeah mm. because those first couple seasons it is there's a lot of just this like soulmate um love and not that there's not like more love and relationship stuff in it but it's not as i guess dramatized as it was with buffy and angel yeah oh people are gonna be so mad you feel like it wouldn't be <laughs> as much of a challenge for her to dump or kill any of her other romantic interests. Exactly, exactly. You know, she's grown up enough to dump or kill any of her future boyfriends. <laughs> yeah, only Dick Casley, which means people I'm willing to kill. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, can I ask one question? Because I know, like, we're we're doing a lot with linguistics here, mm. and you know, you you have an entire podcast called The Illusionist that you talked about. So like, did you, how did you land in this linguistic place? Have you always been like, did you go to school for this and, and you've always been fascinated by language or what brought you to a place where you wanted to spend so much time turning over the stones of, of language, if you will? Well, I've always been very interested in it, but I'm not particularly qualified. And <laughs> I think that's because I've seen what academic linguists do and uh, it seems like dedicating your life to... Uh, studying in a very scientific way a very narrow range of things and my mind is way too lazy and uh, novelty requiring (laughs) to do that Um, uh, so I can just get people on my show that have done that and uh, uh, drain them of their knowledge and uh, oh my god uh, so you're like a word vampire right yeah and I just (laughs) pipe it into entertainment form for other people to digest easily I'm not sure how that is that more like a bird chewing up food and then spitting it into a baby bird's mouth. I love that in this metaphor, you are spitting chewed up worm bits into our mouths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've all done it right. I have a couple of questions for you, actually. Um, I wouldn't have said I was watching this in a particularly linguistically observant way. I was just uh, trying to uh, get a little grounding in uh, what you've been studying for the last several years. I did not realise until this watch that Giles is his last name. <laughs> that is such a British school thing of the 20th century, just to call people by their last names. But he took it with him to California. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess he introduces himself as Mr. Giles in the pilot, and then he is just Giles forever after. Yeah. Well, like and- a butler or something. Yeah, well, and in stark contrast, because I don't know, Helen, if you saw any of the episodes where we learn about uh, Ripper, which is like Rupert's young, like his nickname when he was younger, and he has a oh, he wishes a bit of a bad boy, a bit of a bad boy. Well, you saw Band Candy, so you saw like the manifestation of Ripper when Giles turns Mm -hmm. into his teenage self. You know, rolling his shirt sleeves up, smoking a cigarette, having sex sex on a cop car. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, he has this this other magical dude named Ethan Rain who they definitely make out. You know, like it's, they've got it's a like history. A whole, yeah, it's a whole thing. So it's I think his 
going by his last name also gives us this like idea that when he's going by his first name, perhaps he's, you know, hearkening back to those Ripper days. <laughs> I see. Uh, in Tabula Raza, there is that cunning thing where he's like, oh, Rupert, Rupert's my name. Right, 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 Sweet right. Touch. Oh my God. And Randy Giles. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you watched a lot of episodes. Mm -hmm. Like this, oh, this I was only on television for work. <laughs> I, I do have two other tiny questions for you, though, based on Britishisms I noticed in the ones I did watch. In the pilot, Giles mentions Bovril, a product, as far as I know, not marketed in the US, uh, which is a jar of beef extract. So what does it, he say about it? Well, he <laughs> just says Slid that right he'd rather us. be at home with a cup of Bovril because a people cup? dilute it and drink mm. it hot. Like um, broth? Mm. It's thicker. It's more viscous than broth. I think it's like what they do with old cow carcasses. I can't remember when they invented it, whether it was a Second World War thing or pre that. I don't but, understand what it is. A cow no, extract. Is it like bullion? Right. So why would you sneak that into the pilot? That's amazing to me. Like, would any viewer in the States get that? No, but maybe somebody in the writer's room felt like I'm feeling right now, like kind of horrified and fascinated and had just <laughs> learned about it. So I wanted to pop it in the script. I maybe just want to understand. In, what in are the they production? extracting it's, from it's, the cow? It's Joss. He's like an Anglophile. He's um, it's his favorite thing so to wedge in, little bits of this stuff in. He'd waltz into the writer's room with a flask full of hot beef drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Spike at some point says the Wait, word. Wait, no bitch. one has answered my question oh, about sorry. what they have extracted from the cow. I just I, like you can't just say it's a cow extract. Is it it's, like skin? it's none of your business, Chris? It's honestly better not to know. Uh, Is it blood? Is <laughs> oh, it like I think it's like Whatever is left over from the full cow, they will <laughs> condense into a dark brown gloop <laughs> and put it in a jar. And no. you can spread it on some toast or you can like beef no. up a what chili or something. Or toast? Beef up a drink, chili. Okay. Like a beefy tea. Know. It is basically an instant beef tea because that was what they were always feeding to people. Okay. Like beef, beef tea. tea. Instant. You know, I mean, to me, it just sounds like, but like, if you have a chicken and you and you have the chicken carcass, you throw it in some water and you cook it for a long time, and then you get broth. So, like, is that they're just doing that, but with a cow? Kind uh, of. A isn't it's much more intense, Kristen? It's much more intense. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll let it go. Uh, I'll let it go. Next question. I'm to so our sorry. Beautiful vegan listenership that we respect. <laughs> oh, in about 2004, they took the beef out of Bovril and it was briefly vegetarian. And then a couple of years later, they beefed it again. Did the did wow the rebeefing? Rebeef. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna stop Electric asking beef questions. Electric beefaloo. <laughs> it's clear to um, me that I need to stop asking questions. <laughs> uh, and yes. And the other thing was uh, Spike says the word "git," which is not a word I've ever heard an American say. Oh. It's like a, what does it mean? It's just an insult. It's like a like a, fool. a not so sweary that you'd have to remove it insult. They probably say it in Harry I Potter. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like I've heard oh. that before enough to be like that's you're saying something not nice. That's like yeah. all it does to my brain. Yeah, you might say someone is a douchebag or a wanker, but git is much kind of like it's aerodynamic. It's 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 a little retro. I'm not sure whether the children of today are saying it, but you could probably get it into a show mm. aimed at them without censorship. If you're a child listening to this, please do your job and bring Git back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> shall we get shall we go away from the cows and into the bin of questions here? Yeah. Into the uh, jar of into the bin. cow of questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, so I don't know how many of these we'll get to because, I, you know, Helen, I have a feeling you're going to have some stuff to say about all of them, but we'll oh, do we our best. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to start at the at what I felt would be a good beginning place, which was a question from Alicia um, or Alicia. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your name. Uh, who's wrote in from Chicago and said, why is Buffy named Buffy? I've heard it short for Elizabeth, which sounds odd to my ears, but is there any kind of linguistics history around why the name or nickname Buffy would be chosen for a vampire slaying heroine? When I first saw the show, it threw me off, especially as no one really comments on her name being unusual. Hmm. Uh, well, there's not linguistics history so much as there is Joss Whedon history. Hmm. Um, he was asked about it in an interview, uh, age, I think 2003, and uh, he said, it was the name that I could think of that I took the least seriously. There is no way you could hear the name Buffy and think this is an important person. To juxtapose that with Vampire Slayer just felt like that kind of thing, a B-movie. But a B-movie that had something more going on. That was my dream. What do you think? Because, huh. like, that's that's like the kind of stuff I had in my head as well, that, like, the name was picked to specifically turn you know, the idea of a uh, tiny blonde girl in the alley who mm. could kick your ass on its head. So why not get, you know, why not pick a name? Right. Like you said, that you would take the least seriously. But like, is there anything to that? Is like putting a Y on the end of a name part of what our brain takes less? To, like, you know, is there is there more there? I don't know. I think it's, it's the Y that makes you take it less seriously. <laughs> Are you mad, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's quite a soft sounding name, isn't it? Maybe because of the S. Like it's a name you can imagine someone giving their cat and you wouldn't think that odd. Um, but yeah. I had seen some people speculating that um, he named her after Buffy St. Marie, um, the Canadian mm. musician. Buffy St. Marie would be a cool name icon, uh, but I haven't seen Joss Whedon confirm it. And apparently the mm -hmm. network really hated the title. And... Um, he refused to change it. Yeah, stuff it, network. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. But I, I wonder how many people with the full name Elizabeth there are. Um, how the hell do you get name. from Elizabeth to Buffy? Oh, people are wild, Kristen, with uh, <laughs> names like, like Peggy <laughs> being short for Margaret. How do they get there? What? Like, absurd. Yeah. 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 Um, Molly being short for Mary. Which it's not, not short. any shorter That's than. That's an extra no. letter. <laughs> People go a, a lot of places with Mary. Also, the um, Elizabeth means uh, like Sabbath. So that's interesting as well to think like Buffy means On something re as religious as that. Well, I mean, it's mm. such a Christian. Always wearing a cross. Yeah, I mean, that's actually kind of cool, maybe unintentional, but mm, because probably. there is such a, a rootedness around the Hellmouth and... There's a, there's a lot of Christian shit in this show, as we have talked about um, a few times. That is true. Not so much Jewish shit, though. No, as a matter of fact, like the the exact opposite, because Willow is Jewish. Uh, we're doing one of the one of the deeper dive episodes we're going to do this season is actually going to talk about that because Willow is Jewish in the fact that she says she is Jewish and mentions it like two times, two to three times, you know, in the series. And it's kind of not spoken about, but it's really interesting when, I mean, for a million reasons, but one is that like, she's on a hell mouth and like, it, there is no hell. In, mm. It's just <laughs> a know, mouth. Right. It's just a mouth. Just a it's sinkhole. Just a mouth. 
maybe like a good place to go from the the Christian hellmouth is mm. the uh, all of the Latin used Oof. in spells. And we got two questions. One is is broad, and the and the next sort of narrows it down in a very fun way, if I do say so myself. <laughs> but uh, and do you know how, do you know how to pronounce this name? This Scottish name, Ian. Ian. E- E-I? Yeah. It is yeah, just, just Ian. Ian. It's just the extra I in there. Okay. Um, yeah, Ian from cloudy Scotland, uh, asked why is Latin still associated with spooky things? That's a really... Well, it's a dead language, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a ghost language that just won't die. <laughs> uh, I, I think because, uh, it is a language of religion, like it was the official language of Catholicism until really mm-hmm. recently, I think until the 1960s. Uh, and not only that, it was also the language of science. And mm. for a long time, there was so much more crossover with what we would now separate into like magic or occult and science than there is now. Um, so broadly, I'd say that was it. And then you have like a lot of things that yeah were scientific then, like alchemy, where people were just trying it. And now you would think, well, that's some crank stuff trying to turn like a sandwich into gold or whatever. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. In in pursuit right. of immortality, crazy until it works. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> or like necromancy, uh, that was in Latin as well. So I think that was another thing. People mm. were intoning this stuff in quite serious and boomy and repetitive ways. And if you associate mm-hmm. Latin with mm-hmm. that, then it's not much of a leap to be like, okay, we'll use that because people automatically feel the kind of um, thing where it's like familiar but unfamiliar. Uh, it feels historical and elevated and mysterious, but comprehensible enough just because if you speak a language derived from it, you're like, oh, that word sounds a bit like this. Mm. Um, right, right. But Latin is very privileged. It's, it's got all this respect and this like global botanical and scientific impact. Then you're like, why did you get it? Just, you know, the Roman Empire fell in what, 450 AD? Yeah, Latin's still going great <laughs> for a dead thing. Going strong. Even being, I'm like, even being dead cannot stop it from <laughs> pervading. Because people just keep perpetuating it. You know, I'll just take the Latin out for one last dance. Yeah, and it's never the last dance. <laughs> never. Just keeps on dancing. I'm and I'm I I know that Jenny's gonna take us into this next question, but I'm stuck on the idea that like science and magic or like what we what we would consider now as science and magic were once so intertwined and like all of the things that actually were provable became like, what is science? And all of the things that perhaps have not been like proven yet have be like, we're, we're siphoned off into the magic bin. I'm just going to be like thinking about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or it just stops you feeling too arrogant, really. Like when scientists are like, we've definitely solved this thing forever. And you're like, well, I mean, for 1600 years, they thought that the four humors was how like human bodies worked and how medicine worked and then um, had to put that in the bin. So it just stops (laughs) you from getting too unequivocal about stuff. That's not to say that I'm like, Invermectin, brilliant. (laughs) Far from. (laughs) You know, there's there's certain sensible uh, assumptions you can make based on the knowledge of the time. Uh, Zooming in a little bit, Hmm. we've got a question from Stephen, also in Scotland. Everybody in Scotland wants to talk about Latin. Oh, wow, yeah. And Stephen writes, hi, Helen. Hi. Fan of this pod and yours. Thank you so much. My question is about the spells. There's lots in Latin. Sumatran too, maybe? And I'm sure there's a mix of meaningful words and lorem ipsum-like filler. Gotta come back to that. 
But the one that always stuck in my head was Anya's accidental rabbit summoning in season six's uh, Tabula Rasa or Tabula Rasa if you're Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. No, I. We trust you. you. Don't <laughs> trust me. The spell goes Bara Bara Himbul Gemination for the initial casting, then Himbul Abri Abri Voyan for the attempted reverse. Is there any linguistic basis in this? Gemination is duplication, but I can't see any suitable translation or meaning for the rest. I'm sure there's lots of other interesting ones throughout the series, but I just love the line reading of this one. <laughs> Helen, help. And you really sold it, I guess, because um, from what I can see, it is a real mishmash of <laughs> things that <laughs> don't really go together. So uh, I ran each individual word through Google Translate. And mm. the bara is Swedish for only. Um, is it hinbul with an N or an M? Either okay. way, yeah. I think that might be like a slightly archaic spelling of humble um, in olden times. It was also a name, uh, apparently for people who are very diligent and very logical and popular with co-workers. Um, and what else? Gemination, that's a linguistics term for like a lengthened consonant sound, which is not something we really fuck with in English. Abri is French for shelter and voyon with an S, but I don't know if it officially has an S or not, is French for let's see. So you put all that together wow. and you've got like only, only humble, lengthy consonant, uh, <laughs> humble, shelter, shelter, let's see. <laughs> and then some rabbits come. I mean, yeah, you can see why this didn't work. <laughs> you laugh, but Jenny's entire uh, studio is is full of rabbits right now because <laughs> she yeah. spoke that Latin slash other words in front of the books, as they say. Um, Very uh-huh. powerful. Yeah, it sounds like they just kind of threw. It sounds like the let's see at the end really is the answer to the rest of it. They were just like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's all because these words aesthetically don't really sound like they belong together. Maybe this is just because you're like, yeah, Latin, I'm used to that sounding like a spell because that's what Latin prayers sound like. Whereas this, like, gemination and hinbul are, are like, so, like, hinbul sounds kind of cute. Gemination is not a term that I had known before, but a technical term. And then barra barra sounds kind of more poetic and abri abri because they're, they're doubled. Yeah, and, and like Stephen said that gemination is duplication, which that oh, would make sense because does, the yeah. r- rabbits, you know, are like duplicating. They're, yeah, whatever, and I suppose you know. if you've got a double consonant, <laughs> why not extend that to double uh, rabbit? Ah, yes, yes, yes. I see how it fits in with the consonant thing. It's tenuous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tenuous to try to apply it to rabbits. <laughs> that seems makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> with an experimental incantation. yeah. Buffering, a rewatch adventure, is sponsored by Care Of. Care Of is a health and wellness company that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. All you do to get started is take a short, simple online quiz about your lifestyle and health goals, and Care Of will give you doctor-backed recommendations. Their app helps you track how you're feeling and play back insights about your results over time so you can actually adjust your routine as your needs change. It's very cool. My number one health goal in this and every season is keeping my energy at maximum capacity. <laughs> a lot of little tributaries feed into that larger stream and contribute to your energy level. But a really important one is B vitamins. B for bright, 
for bubbly, for buoyant, for feeling better. B for buffering. I think the vitamin B is working, Jenny. (laughs) I think so, too. For 50% off your first Care Of subscription order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code REWATCH50. That's 50% off your first Care Of subscription order. Just go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code REWATCH50. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Folks want us to get into uh, faith, and we're going to get there, but I want to I want to just go into, I want to just dance a little bit into the 90s before we get to mm. faith. Um, Mary Megan writes in, I always love, I think Mary Megan has written in before because when I was in college, I had two roommates and their names were Mary and Megan, and I'm always like, oh. My roommates, my college roommates are here. Mary Mary Megan from Connecticut uh, said, I'm really curious about the etymology of 90s slang wigging. In Buffy, we hear characters say, gives me the wiggins, wiggy and wigging out. Excuse me for paraphrasing. Where does this come from? Helen, I know how you feel about wigs. So (laughs) do you feel emotionally prepared to answer this question? I'd love to see people on television having to wear wigs that must be very hard to act whilst wearing. (laughs) Credit to Kristen Bell for getting through so many difficult wigs. Um, Wigging out, you you say it's 90s slang. It's not, it's 1950s slang. Mm. Wow. Um, And it was probably like saying to flip your wig. You know, if you're you're wigging out, like you're in such a state of agitation that your wig is dislodged. And I think that kind of slang has actually been (sighs) around for like way longer, I guess, because like (laughs) wig wearing was associated with fancy people of the past and and like if you had a really tall wig it was like such a status symbol um like the taller the better for for the more power so like that's why you had big wig as well like if you had a big wig you were uh, an important Uh... one even if it's a metaphorical wig i suppose Wow, and Jenny connected that to your feelings about wigs. I didn't even realize that the answer was going to be rooted right there in wigs. I should have known better. Uh, but also, like, wig was used as, like, an analogy for the human head, which hair is often as well. Um, was mm. it, like, poll? Like, the word poll, like, when you go to vote, it was because they would count, they would use that. They were, like, uh, counting people doing a head count, but they would say hair instead of head count. Uh, so I think wig was similar. And then um, you had a lot of like early 20th century African-American slang, uh, which is where I think the whole flip one's wig came from and, and lots of other things. Um, what, did, what else to see? Uh, a wig picker was a psychiatrist. <laughs> so wig really was just like a shorthand in a lot of cases for your head. Yeah. Uh, and then Wiggins, uh, that's a Joss Whedonism. And to be fair to him, don't love to give him credit, but that is a convincing sounding slang to come up with, I guess, because wig was already in people's vocabularies and it's Mm. quite a funny sounding word. Wiggins gives me Mm -hmm. the Wiggins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did a lot of like pluralizing, right, of of things and like adding S's to the ends and changing the like form of words for for comedy and just like to kind of create not his own language, but kind Mm. of like one step maybe below that. Yeah, that's pretty smart, isn't it? Take something familiar and just modify it enough that it seems particular to this. Yeah, which I feel like is what I mean. 
like I remember being in high school and like playing with words like that as well. Like, like yeah. you know, like sort of hearing it done to some other word and then taking that and applying it to something else. Um, and and that you know that was my experience growing up. So I'm sure that it's it happens. You know, totally. Totally. when you're when you're of an age where you're sort of like familiar with your your language enough to play with it yeah I think it's a very human impulse isn't it to get creative with it you've got a lot of opportunities since you have to use it all the time do you think his original phrase was gives me the Whedons <laughs> we can change it to that now <laughs> uh, uh, this kind of connects nicely to a kind of similar email from from Emma who wrote in to say uh, buffering the vampire slayer is credited as being the first time Google was used mm. as a verb when in season seven, episode four, Willow asked Buffy, have you Googled her yet? I'd love to hear your thoughts on pop culture verbifying nouns into actions. Well, that's, that's a, a human thing again. Is This is a form mm -hmm. of language play that is people get so pissed off about it and they think it's newfangled, but it's been going on for as long as English language has been going on. Um, it's like turning a verb into a noun is called denominalization, I think. I would probably just calling it nouning a verb or verbing a noun because uh, I can't <laughs> remember linguistics terms. So I don't think that's unusual. I think the truth of it wasn't that this was the first time Google had ever been used as a verb, but it may have been the first time Google was used as a verb on television. Um, yeah, yeah. This was 2002 and I think mm -hmm. it had already been used as a verb by... 2000. Well, I will say like teenagers and, and specifically teenage girls tend to be like a decade or more ahead of linguistics change. So people often discredit the way that teenage girls speak and actually they should be studying it to see what's coming. Oh, um, now, now we're in it. Harvard, yeah. we're in it. What's to tell come? me that. Tell me more. Tell, could, could you just say that five times? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd recommend uh, the book "Because Internet" by Gretchen McCulloch, which is a very interesting read. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, but Google were really pissed off about uh, being used as a verb, and you'd think most brands would be like pretty thrilled to get to be the generic term for something because it does mean that they have wiped the floor with the competition, and even if the company dies for whatever reason they're going to be remembered but they did this blog post in 2006 <laughs> with lawyers um saying why which ways were acceptable to use the word google and which weren't so it's basically a passive what? aggressive request for people not to use it as a verb because uh, they only wanted you to say google if you actually meant using google boo shut up google what sacks i Would mean seriously the other search engines uh off into like some sad little pen of Dead search I mean, engines. like imagine Kleenex was like, um, could you actually only call our tissues Kleenex? Like, what would the <laughs> basis be of right? I mean, it's yeah. just like if you're popularized that much, how could that be bad? Yeah, weird. Well, it'd be terrible for the other manufacturers of tissues, but not for right. Kleenex. I mean, lucky not for, right, right. Like if right, if some other brand of tissue was like, actually, you cannot use Kleenex to describe our tissues. That would make sense if. But wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, rude. You you can't control these things. Once they're out, people are going to use it how they want. And uh, your blog post is not going to change that. Uh, also, the word Google <laughs> as a verb had been around actually since the early 20th century as a cricket term, which I'm sure you all well, well across. Oh, of. yeah, of course. Wait, what does it mean in cricket? <laughs> oh, don't. I don't give a shit. Uh, some kind of ball, <laughs> ball thing. From a googly shot. I grew up with a lot of cricket in the house and I refuse I refuse to understand uh, mm. what a googly actually is. <laughs> it's my form of rebelling against uh, <laughs> my childhood. 
I mean, I just like, first of all, I, I want to read that book that you mentioned um, about teenage girls being ahead of linguistics because I love that. Mm. But also just talking about this. And I know like the whole point is that we're talking about like making up words and, and what have you. But that's what language is based on. And it just always brings me back to this ongoing conversation on pronouns and how people are just just constantly like, but that's not how you use the word, which is like both inaccurate and also even if it were accurate like languages evolve like languages yep. that evolves can't stop uh, it yeah yeah Just so release yourself from that <laughs> angst i did my life's been the better for it <laughs> and much less of an asshole to other people as well which is a <sighs> definite bonus it's just like words are things we play with and like clearly because we don't use a lot of the words we used to use and we use all new words anyway right you can tell the cat to stop clawing your face but it doesn't respond to that command. <laughs> <laughs> and what you could do is introduce something else that is even more fun to claw. Ooh. But. Yes, then your face. Or linguistic That's equivalent. Uh, uh, well, let's let's take a little uh, detour over to Faith because I want to know what you think about this, but so did Bridget from South London. <laughs> Who asked, what is Helen's take on Faith's catchphrase, five by five? We've done a lot of talking about this in the podcast space. So what do you think, Helen? Uh, oh, have you covered where it's from? We've covered various places where it might be from. But then the one I think we landed the, the most that stuck the most was um, like truckers over the radio. Right. Was that kind of where we landed, Jenny? Uh, or did it have something to do with sailing? See, did so this is Helen, where help we us. Yeah. It <laughs> It, it is like a radio communications thing, apparently from the US military in the 1940s and uh, the five point scale they had for clarity and signal strength. So five by five was like right. top marks for both those things. So it just means I understand you perfectly. Fine. My take is where did late 90s teen Faith get hold of this? Well, she probably like, honestly, Faith... Faith's story could have easily included um, like hitchhiking, you know, like hitchhiking and grabbing rides with truckers. Don't can't, can't you see Faith like getting down to Sunnydale? That's true. Or maybe she spent a lot of time in childhood with World War II vets or, or she watched Aliens a lot. Apparently they use it in she, Aliens. Yeah, they do oh, use yeah. it in Aliens. <laughs> and Alias. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's like when... Um... <laughs> I, d I don't think this show is too bad for it, but a lot of teen dramas you're just so conscious that the writers are 30 plus years older than the characters mm -hmm. and have not mm -hmm. taken account of that. And maybe it would be more embarrassing if they were trying to be, uh, how are you doing fellow kids? <laughs> but <laughs> you could maybe hire some young writers or do what Clueless did, which is like invent a whole system of convincing sounding slang that isn't real and therefore it doesn't get embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but it's like in the Gilmore Girls where like Rory Gilmore has like no references from art or media of her lifetime. <laughs> I think that's the worst example of it. So with Faith, like, I don't think it's as bad as that, but it still seems tenuous to me. Yeah. I mean, Faith, on the one hand, Faith, I was just thinking she's probably the character that plays with language the most, although... Willow also does a lot, I think, with her language and like changing words around. But I do feel like Faith is somebody who specifically comes in with a different set of words from like her background and where she's coming from and seems to play with them a lot as well. But she's not explicitly 
a time traveler or anything. She's not Donna Quantum. She's not. Not that we're She's aware really of. Not. Uh, and you made me think of um, the creator of My So-Called Life when you were talking about that, who I remember reading a lot about uh, how she sat and talked with them constantly. And and the cast was notably mostly like 14, 15. Yeah. They were actually uh, young high school students. Uh, and so that show, to me at least, stands apart as one where the way they talk was exactly how I talked when I was in high school in the 90s. Yes, agreed. I, th- I think that was the first time that I was really conscious of people saying like in the way mm. that now I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I guess on TV before, it just wasn't really written like people actually speak. Yeah, yeah. All right, coming in from Barbados, uh, this question is from Khalil, who asks... Uh, while I am conflicted about season six, I do like the scenes where Giles shows up with borrowed magic to fight Dark Willow. Spoiler for some episodes you missed, Ellen. Uh, he <laughs> borrowed the magic from a coven in Devon. What is the origin of the word coven? Did it always mean witches? I love No, um, it has the same root as convent, and that's what it meant <gasps> for men as well. Um, and it's basically like, um, you know, the word convene <sighs> mm. is the same word as that. Like it's a coming together or like an assembly. So people gathering. And I guess a convent was where people gathered to do religious observance. Wow. And then it became witchy in the 1660s, probably. I don't know whether that was just like a particularly hot time for witch gathering. When was like, I would have thought like the big times for witch burnings were a bit earlier than that. But maybe that was one off witches rather than. Covens. Well, when was the pla- When was the big plague? <laughs> the big one? Oh, well, there were a few big plagues, but there was one that ended in 1666. So, um, oh, so because isn't that the plague? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the plague where we got the root of alewives from? Because alewives were making um, beer, which people would not, uh, they could drink without getting sick because they were boiling the water, but they didn't like connect the fact that it was the boiling of the water that made them able to drink the beer so people were drinking a lot of beer and alewives were making a lot of beer and then they were making money on their own and they didn't need husbands and then they were defamed by you know the catholic church because they catholic church didn't want women making their own money and that's where they got branded as witches and they can't they were trust uh, single independent women so and I don't know if it's I don't know if I have the right plague, but I do oh, then, know that like if I do, then that would make a lot of sense for Coven to also be pivoting around that time uh, because it was really when like the idea of a witch was kind of like first branded almost literally kind of branded like it marketed. Was, it, it was popularized <laughs> by an earlier plague in the 1300s and actually by the 1600s the men had managed to come in and like seize the brewing industry ah. and start pushing out the alewives. Fuck's sake. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if that as much to do with which there was a lot of like um, religious turmoil that may have uh, resulted in people being like, you know what, let's take it out on the witches again. <laughs> it's always an easy God. win. But God. the term, like even though it had been around for witches since about 1660, it didn't really take off until the 1920s when um, the anthropologist and folklorist Margaret Murray uh, popularised this idea of witches gathering in covens of 13 people as a sort of uh, witchy um, analogue of Christ and the 12 
disciples, but this theory is like widely discredited. Um, and then someone else was like, well, it might just have been that 13 was a convenient number to fit in a nine foot coven house. So I don't know where they get this shit from, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think witch history and science is not necessarily built on the most solid foundations, you know. <laughs> But it's it's always it's it's you know you have to really raise at least one eyebrow at how <laughs> much connective tissue there is between Christianity and these concepts of magic and witches and covens and all, you know like they just always seem to be together. Yeah, it's like it's they almost as if the church out. doth protest too much. Me thanks. A little too much. A little too much. Yeah, just a, yeah. just a wee bit too much. Yeah. The, the, the uh, Wiley Coyote to Witch's Roadrunner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go to, to Kavi's question. Uh, Kavi wrote in from California, and this goes back to the beginning of the show. Why does Giles's book from episode one have vampire spelled like that? I hope that I communicated the spelling to you by my pronunciation listeners. Uh, mm. Is that like an older spelling of vampire? Is it just dramatic flair? I don't think I've ever questioned it before, but now I'm dying to know. Oh, please don't die. <laughs> uh, it's a vampire with a Y. Indeed. Yes. Was pretty interchangeable with vampire with an I when it first landed in English. Actually, I think the first appearance in English was with a Y. Um, we probably got it from French or German, but it was based on... It's a little unclear, but it was based on... Um, Hungarian possibly or Slavic languages and it was because at the time they were doing a lot of coverage of the Serbian vampire epidemic of 1725 to 1732 oh, of apparently there were a lot of Eastern European vampire epidemics what is a vampire epidemic? I assume an <laughs> epidemic of vampires imagine Covid but for vampirism <laughs> and no vaccine no masking so like, we have a new variant and like Spike puts on his leather coat <laughs> Makes people kind of sexy and nocturnal. Uh, I'd imagine there was like they were probably dying of some blood disease, and uh, they blamed it on vampirism. But like they'd been writing about vampire-like creatures in English for hundreds of years before that, so the concept wasn't new. They just didn't really have the word in writing. Maybe it was too powerful to put in writing. I don't mm. know. But like when it did mm. appear in writing, it wasn't that people felt the need to explain it, which suggests that people already knew what a vampire was in like in talking. Interesting. Um, so anyway, with the Y, I imagine that it was partly because like spelling was a lot more flexible then. It wasn't really standardised and it had come from foreign languages. So that was another element of like, which is it? I don't know. Mm. Just uh, go with the flow. Um, and then in the show, they're just going to choose whatever looks the most arcane, aren't they? Yes. Like they would use a long S if that was relevant. Old, or yeah, v like it's supposed to be an old book. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Maybe you don't know the answer to this question, but like it never occurred to me that spelling was once not standard. You know, like just hearing mm. you say that so casually, I was like, wait, so before you could just spell things like they sounded to you in your head and that was fine. Like, how did it why did it change? Oh, um, well, like you were saying earlier <laughs> with people being like, rah, rah, pronouns are written in stone and like have been handed down from the Lord. Um, <laughs> and that has never been the case. Like, it's the same with spelling. Like Shakespeare, there were so many different ways he spelled his own name. And I think it's partly just because there wasn't as much geographical mingling of people and not as many people were able to write. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you get people more able to write and then more able to see what other people have written from different regions, you're then like, oh, what the shit? 
but I think it was also just there were a couple of hundred years ago or more, there was a bunch of like grumpy men who decided just to impose a lot of rules on language and mm. make it how they thought. Uh, they, they really thought it should weird. be like Latin. That's weird that that On the happened. English language specifically. I mean, yeah. there's still people doing that in like French. They've got an official body to decide what spelling is allowed and English doesn't. So you've just got these like <laughs> compromises. Mm. And that's why a lot of spelling doesn't make sense because it's chaos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had I, when I was asking the question too. I thought I was thinking of like the printing press and like yes. as people yes. were able to like distribute the you know like wider distribution, more communication. If we all agree yeah. to spell this word like this, then we'll all know what we're talking about. But I kind of I have to say maybe I'm just feeling a little chaotic today. But I kind of <laughs> really would like to take a few steps back and just like be able to have a good time <laughs> spell words no like how allowed. we want to spell them. Yeah. Those days are past. <laughs> Yeah, how very how very non-man of me. <laughs> um, well, okay, so we have a couple of questions left, and I want to ask you, Helen, because one of them is, is a, sort of like a big question about fantasy, and I don't know if you want to go there or you want to end there. I want to go there, please. So we don't end on a low. Okay, so this question came in from Kat, uh, who who says, thoughts on the recent prevalence of conlanging? How do you say that word, Helen? Uh, yeah, conlanging. Conlang, conlang, conlang is like a shortening of constructed languages. So oh, okay, languages that okay. have been conlanging. invented recently. And then conlanging is that in action. Great. Okay, so uh, I'm glad I stopped there because I needed to know what that word even meant. Before Very we went fair further. question. <laughs> Uh, thoughts on the recent prevalence of conlanging and fantasy versus just making shit up as you need it versus using a real human language that's unlikely to be understood by the viewer. Going on David J. Peterson's Wikipedia, there's a lot of conlangs he's made for TV and film that were only used for one line or a couple of names. And to me, that seems like an awful lot of effort. But to when you, you it a- does, but to David <laughs> J. Peterson, it is not. <laughs> But when you use a real human language, that has its own cultural implications a lot of the time. My aforementioned Ling slash comp sci partner thinks that TV writers should use Icelandic a lot more because it sounds very unusual to English speakers without running into the problem of, quote, let's use Arabic because it sounds harsh and exotic, end quote, etc. And when you just make things up, you run the risk of them sounding very silly. Wow. Cat. Yeah. Well, you just uh, made the case, Cat, that when you just make things up, you run the risk of them sounding very silly, which is why people hire conlangers like David J. Peterson to uh, make up something that sounds like a plausible effort. Because you, you say it's a lot of effort, but it's so much more effort for actors to have to extemporize some realistic sounding fictional language and then for that to be consistent with what the other actors are doing. I think that's how Klingon started. And then they needed more of it for the show so then they brought in Mark Ockran to develop it based on what the actors had done. But it was like quite challenging for the actors to have to deal with it before that. Um, so David J. Peterson has written, was constructed languages for lots of fiction. He came on The Illusionist a few years ago to talk about uh, making Dothraki and uh, Valyrian for Game Aww. of Thrones. And uh, I read his book about constructing languages, which is intense. Because <laughs> uh, he goes deep. Uh, I was like... Because we were talking about how 
much history he constructs for the language because you you have to take into account a lot of things like the geography of a place, how that might have influenced the kinds of words people need or the kind of sounds they make. Uh, and then all just all these mistakes that are in language. Like it's not consistent at all. Mm. Like English is full of all these idiosyncrasies that don't really make sense. And he has to come up with that so that the language isn't unrealistically perfect. Mm. Um, and, and then you like, it's just incredible how much stuff you have to think about. So probably if in Kat's example, he's only had to come, come up with one or two lines, he's not going to figure out thousands of words for it and a whole grammatical system and a whole writing system and a whole etymology. But mm. I said to him, like, how much etymology do you make up there? For? Well, not make up, that would be insulting to him. How much etymology do you figure out if you're trying to do quite a full sounding language? And he was like, oh, not that much, only about a thousand years or so. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, but he said that uh, in Game of Thrones's case, the producers had uh, had tried to make up some for the auditions, and they were really disappointed with how silly it sounded. And um, he he's like, if you're spending millions on production and on a set and costumes and stuff, and you're inventing a world, it's so cheap to <laughs> hire someone who constructs languages. Uh, because you know, people are really sensitive to this stuff if it sounds unreal. And some people get so into it as well that they then want to learn it. And if it doesn't work, they're like, wait a minute. Mm. Um, so you might you might think that's a waste. But when you consider what the budget probably is for, for the wigs and how bad the wigs are, <laughs> you're like, you probably could spend a little bit more to get better wigs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I loved I loved hearing uh, David J. Peterson talk in that episode that you had him on The Illusionist for about like how uh, how stressed out he was about the book spelling of the word Khaleesi <laughs> and how it just like fucked oh. up his whole day in terms of like uh, constructing the his language around decade. it and how just like how it, he just could not uh, yeah. it just could not make sense to him. Uh, yeah. It doesn't work as spelled is the problem. <laughs> the problem in brief, and he talked for several minutes about this word, is that the way that it's spelled would be pronounced differently to how they pronounce it. Um, but the way that they pronounce it is only because, like, when an English speaker sees the double e, you pronounce that e. Whereas in the Dothraki system, uh, oh, is it? Yeah, it's Dothraki, isn't it? It would be Kaleasi, so two syllables. But he was like, the trouble is. No one has read Dothraki because it's not a written language. So no one would be able to say Khaleesi. It's impossible. <laughs> and <laughs> that's just going to torment him for forever. He was like, I should have re-spelled it because he was like working off the 50 odd words that George R. R. Martin had invented in the books. He was like, I'll incorporate that. Right. And he didn't want to change them. But now he lives with regret. Ugh. Wow. That was impossible word. Um but I would say about Icelandic, I don't think Icelandic is the solution at all. I think maybe your your partner in linguistics uh, chose it because it's spoken mostly by white people. So that's why they thought it doesn't have the problems of Arabic. And there's only like 300,000 Icelandic speakers and they have a pretty good standard of living. <laughs> so they're not discriminated against like other speakers of other languages might be. But Icelandic is an endangered language. And maybe it doesn't want whatever associations it would get from the fictional universe it's being poured into. Like you say, it wouldn't have the same problems as using Arabic, but no language is neutral. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, and then some people will recognise it because 
it is right. similar to Scandinavian languages and there's quite a lot of that in English as well. So maybe it wouldn't sound foreign enough. Maybe this is why they use Latin so much, actually, because you're not offending ancient no Romans one, now because right, they're dead. Right, right. I, I guess I just never, like, I didn't know Klingon. I didn't know about the existence of Klingon. I didn't know, like, even when I knew the word Klingon, I didn't know until very recently that it was a, an actual language that was created by someone, um, which I find fascinating. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm, like, meandering to this question, but, and maybe you don't know the answer, but was Klingon one of the first times that this was done for a show the the first time like mm. were, were languages made up for other tv shows before klingon i don't know the answer to that question that's a really good question well, well I right think it certainly us. popularized it because so many people learned it that it had a life outside of mm -hmm. the show that mm -hmm. was another thing david j peterson was a bit disappointed by he th hoped people would do that with the languages he made for game of thrones but he said they didn't really it might have been because the audience was a bit older and a lot of right. kids liked learning Klingon. But also you can't really know what the lifespan of it will be. I mean, even it's if, true. you know, like even if that isn't a thing right now, I feel like fandoms especially like evolve over time. So there, it could have a, it could have a, t it's time. That David is very J. True. Peterson, don't get sad, okay? You, you might have your time. <laughs> <Anything> could happen. <laughs> I, I think he's all right. I think he may have just done the language for for Dune or something like that. He's a very oh, wow. busy language constructor. Wow. I'm happy what for him. What an amazingly fascinating job. Yeah. I think yeah. also you don't get into it expecting it to become a job. Mm. He'd right. constructed, he's constructed like 50 odd languages. And I think the ones for Game of Thrones were maybe his 17th. Wow. Some people just love doing this. I can understand why. Cool. Like I couldn't do it myself, but it no, does sound so so fascinating and satisfying to me. Did you see the Netflix film, The Christmas Chronicles, where Kurt Russell plays Santa? Mm -mm. It came out a no. couple years ago. Apparently he uh, invented Yulish for that. Wow. The language of Santa Claus and the Excellent. elves. Excellent. Okay, well, I'll be watching that now. <laughs> I never knew at the time. It's before I spoke to him. Yulish, <laughs> what a fantastic name for the language. <laughs> uh, did stuff in Thor and Doctor Strange, Lovecraft Country. The Witcher? Oh, wow. Yes! Oh, hey! So is he just like the only guy out there making like Well, you do Game what? of Thrones. <laughs> I feel like you're probably the first call for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. If you're going to do it, yeah. get the best. Now, there's lots of people who love doing it, but I don't know how many of them get to do it for money and television. Right. David J. Peterson just taking all the, all the language work out there. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, the the question remaining, of course, is reserved for Jenny Owen Young's because it incorporates a character that means a lot to her. Yes, I'm really excited to ask this question. And it feels like the universe is excited, too, because this question is going to <laughs> name someone who in this episode uh, is playing a role called Cowboy Guy and the local horse riding instructor just turned the corner onto my street with her brood of children on small horses. So just a lot of cowboy wow. horse stuff coming together. Wow. Um, wow. It's cool to be me right now. All right. This question is from <laughs> Imogen in Oxford. Unclear whether it's Lyra's Oxford, Will's Oxford, or somebody else's Oxford. <laughs> uh, Imogen says in Restless, Dream Riley 
keeps calling Buffy killer instead of slayer, much to her confusion. This is a theme that comes up a few times, e.g. Faith in Who Are You affirming that she's not a killer, she's a slayer. Is there any linguistic or etymological distinction between these terms? What's the history of both of them? In other contexts, I feel like they're used pretty interchangeably, but in the show, a distinction really? is drawn and becomes quite a defining trait for Slayer identity. Uh, what other context is Slayer used? I don't feel like they're used that interchangeably in my life. <laughs> well, you I, you, I'm, I'm you distinguish person. between when you're killing and when you're slaying, Helen. Absolutely. Okay. It's important. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I, think I agree, lot- Helen. Yeah. I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. Uh, I think there's a lot of etymological distinction. Those are completely different words. <laughs> um, it, I was interested to find that both of them originally meant to injure someone, just not fatally, and then... And then things got, got out fatal. of hand. Um, right, exactly. You know, just you get better at mm. it to the point that people start dying. Mm. Um, I also learned that there's a noun called slay, uh, a noun called a noun that is the word slay that means an instrument on a weaver's loom to beat up the weft uh, from, which is from the same root because it means to strike but I, I'm not experienced enough in weaving always beating up that uh, weft and, myself and, then, uh, <laughs> and, and there's a last name slay maker who is someone who makes slays incredible Whoa. as in slays the, for the weaving the, for the weaving cool yeah wow so I think slayer was an earlier word than killer and uh, kill came from like an old English word, quellan, which is like the word quell, um, mm. which is much gentler than kill, even though it's kind of subtly <laughs> different. Um, but I think in Buffy's case, she she favours Slayer over Killer because Killer is generic, right? There's all sorts of people who are killers. Slayer is a calling. Slayer is kind of noble in that she sacrificed her life for doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Killer is any old murderer, you know? Yeah, it does. It feels more com- more like common. You know, anybody can do it. But is that yeah. like I in my own mind, you know, I can't really separate it from the fact that I probably came to the word slayer via Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer, you know. Yeah. And that's funny, isn't it? Because I don't think any of us would puzzle out what that means if we'd never heard the word slayer before, mm. but I don't know that. Well, I suppose I'd heard of the band Slayer. Right. <laughs> But that's still marginal, isn't it? <laughs> it's not in my daily vocabulary. <laughs> also, you, you made me realize, because uh, you said killer or kill came from quell. Mm. Um, there's a, a demon, one of our least favorite demons in the universe, called the queller demon. Oh, it's uh, really yeah. a bummer. He's a, he's a nasty, nasty so little slimy guy. He climbs on ceilings. It's real bad. But um, but I because because part of what I love about the word creation in the show are like the names of the demons. So it, it was an exciting little moment for me that I was like, oh, we got one anyway. Accidentally, we got the Queller demon and kind of like his <laughs> origins, where that what that word means. Uh, Maybe and, they just and, like, like Ben Queller and named a demon <laughs> after him or disliked him. Oh, <laughs> I hope that's not the case for poor Ben. Yeah, I can't think of anything that Ben Queller might have done. Uh, to be immortalized thus <laughs> complimentarily or not. Um, so his dream, Riley, yeah, he's being disrespectful, isn't he? That's how this scene reads. I don't even know if you could, it's, it's a very, Restless is such a wild episode. I would rec, based on all of the wild <laughs> episodes you have watched, Helen, I think it's exactly where you should go next. <laughs> Sweet. Um, 
because it's really done. It's kind of like uh, conversations with dead people come to think of it, where it's really like quartered. You know, there's like Xander's dream, Willow's dream, Buffy's dream uh, and Giles's dream. And so and they're all like very, 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 I mean, dreamlike, clearly. But it's it's like Dream Riley is Buffy's manifestation of this weird they're putting on a play called death of a salesman which i'm sure you've heard of but it's like this wild interpretation of death of a salesman it's just like very bizarro so i don't even know that it's really like intended as an as an insult as much as as it is like her internalized yeah it's she's really struggling with like the the darkness inside of Mm -hmm. her like that her like and and really trying to differentiate for herself like what makes her a slayer versus what makes her just a killer mm-hmm. uh, and and you know t- and telling like telling faith that like they're not the law although now in the current season she's going to claim that she is the law so it's, it's complicated but um but i do think that the like um those words being put together a few times in the show is for that purpose Right. So killing is fine as long as the person has a rubber face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Precisely. Well, slaying is, that makes it slaying. If they that have a rubber it face, slaying. it's slaying. And if they have a flesh face, it's killing. Correct. Yes. Unless okay. they have a soul and then it gets all kind of sorts of confusing because then oh, we don't know what to do. souls that cause the trouble, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling, Helen, that uh, we... In, and having this conversation with you, we will be asking you to have another conversation with. I have a feeling that like many people will now realize realize the error of their ways. In yes, not asking I think, a question. I think the linguistic questions that will now oh, come into our inbox me. will be plentiful. So oh. I'm I'm hoping Ryan for a future that involves uh, perhaps a the uh, Helen to the rehelening. Uh, episode (laughs) yeah the Helen mouth opens (laughs) welcome to the Helen mouth oh my god you just titled the special episode good job Uh, I'd be I'd be very happy with this duty Uh, and to the people whose questions didn't get answered it's not your fault (laughs) you didn't do anything don't blame yourself it's good questions without good answers just trust me on this Oh, were there any other things, Helen, that came up for you that you wanted to talk about? You know, you watched all these bizarro episodes. You got anything burning in your in your mind that you just I, need to get off? Get I should out. have asked burning you. in your mind that you have to get off your chest is what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, my, embers from my mind fell on my chest, <laughs> <laughs> and soon they'll get my legs. So, um, I should have asked you, Kristen, for your uh, selection of episodes. Um, but we've already dealt with the Bovril thing which has uh, been playing on my mind nonstop, of course, (laughs) since watching the pilot. (laughs) Yeah, that was unfortunate for me. It's actually kind of my least favorite thing that you brought to the table with you, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) The etymology of bovril is great because the beef, the the bov is like bovine and the vril is like, I think it's a science fiction term made up to mean like life force. Wow. It's like beefy life force. Okay, so when I said, what were they sucking out of the cow? You actually had to answer the whole time. <laughs> it's the cow's soul yeah, in the jar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. 
This is very uh, serious. I'll, I'll think on now knowing the the episodes you've watched, Helen, I'll think on um, what I, I really do think Restless should be one of your next episodes because it's wild. It's one of the most <laughs> wild episodes, I think, of the whole pack. Uh, uh, cool. I'll add that to the list. And now, I, um, now I'm not uh, watching it whilst researching linguistic mm-hmm. stuff. I can watch Hush. Yeah, oh, I probably need my eyes on that. Uh, so I've watched yeah. like I don't know eighteen episodes, but not in order. So maybe eventually I'll get through the whole seven seasons, but <laughs> just one from each season at a time. Oh my god! Maybe this is the way we'll return to Buffy after the podcast ends. We'll yeah. just go. We'll go in the Helen order of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all episode over one the place. of each season, and then episode <laughs> two of each season and onward. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for being here and talking to us about all this cool shit. It has ruled. <laughs> There's only one Helen Zaltzman, and only it's you true. could bring what you brought to us today. <laughs> and I feel so blessed Beef soul. to know you and to have uh, recorded yet another podcast episode with you here today. An hey. enrichment to my life. This was my first ever podcast with you, Helen. Oh, yeah. What yeah. a landmark. Da, 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 yeah, it's a big day. open the Helen mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and tell, I mean, you know, you talked about what you do up at the top, but will you tell our listeners, the the, the small handful of them who don't know where to find you, where they can find you and in your work? <laughs> Internet. Yeah, you... <laughs> Yeah, that's where I live, on the internet. Yeah, theillusionist.org is where my main show lives. Uh, it's via my pod with Jenny Owen Youngs, via mypod.com. Hell yeah. Well, thank you again, Helen, for joining us for this very magical episode. And uh, till next time. Ah, Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.